You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hi, Christians. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Your Queer Story, your favorite podcast on your download list. Um, and I'm Paul Hobbs. And I'm Evan Jones, soon to be Mr. Evan Jones. Ah, two days. <laughs> two days. That's right, two days, and I'm going to be a married man, so... Sorry, all you lonely people out there. That's right. Uh, Samantha actually asked me to censor out your face on the website, so nobody got the wrong idea. (laughs) People can't see me anymore because I'm taken. Okay, You're fired from all social media. That's right. Uh, No, we're getting a joint account. Oh, those are the words. Evan and Sam (laughs) Jonesler. She won't let us combine our last names. I like that. I want to do Jones Taylor. Right? Jonesler doesn't sound that bad. No, that would be so unique. She won't do it. No. She uh, sounds pretty. Yeah, thank you. We yeah. have a very special guest with us again this Once week. Once again. Yay, I'm Da-da-da-da. here. So hi, everyone. I'm Vima Manfredo, host of uh, Down No Particular Host, which is a camping podcast that has nothing to do with queer, except that one of the people camping is queer. That's, so it is queer. It it's is queer, queer and everything. Because I'm there. But That's other right. than that, we do reviews of campgrounds, and we talk about camping and everything you need to know about really glamping let's be real that's right <laughs> it's an rv camping they're all fancy and you are camping. less likely to be assaulted by an axe murderer if you, you are in an rv exactly right. you can charge your dildos can you charge your dildos in your camper oh yeah we have a 30 amp connection oh, oh i thought both. you were gonna say like a 30 i don't know where amp dildo hi <laughs> 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 Everybody, was, party did, at Bima's camper. Party in my camper. <laughs> did you see me? I was like, oh, Jesus. so excited. Because we, we were screaming. Okay. It's fine. All right. All right. So, so just 30 amp service just means that you can run one AC, one a fridge, and pretty much any other household appliance you can think of. Just uh-huh. not all of them at once. Well, so maybe leave the Hitachi one at home and bring uh, the rechargeable smaller one. That's smart. There you go. That's it. There you go. So now you know, Christians, get yourself an RV that you can charge your dildo in. If you really want to go glamping, you gotta have the, you gotta have that feature. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. half the reason to go glamping. I would think that would be why I would want to go camping. I, I would want to that go and s'mores. That's it. <laughs> s'mores and fucking. If that, I'm still surprised. What else? And if you can combine the two, ways. then do it. S'mores and sex. Yeah, that's right. That's a little, way more stickiness than I'm willing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? <laughs> well, I, we were just getting a little wild. We just know? got a little crazy. Don't you have a bath on the glamp? 
Oh yeah, a full bathroom with. Okay, a, well there you go. You can get a stick as you wow. want to get. Wow, well, look at this. Yeah, that's then a good you shower point. Okay, together. Take it back. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get all sticky in there. All right, <laughs> we should get to the episode. We got a lot of information for you today, and we're gonna pack it all into one episode. Because we got a lot of shit going on. I don't know if I've told you guys, but I'm getting married, and we don't have time for this shit. Ain't nobody got time for that. nobody got time for that. For the podcast, not for my marriage. I have time for my marriage. Um, <coughs> so today... Hopefully this one. Hopefully. Yeah, this one. This one, I'm going to make it work. I have a good feeling this time. There's a lot of things in line. Um, I'm in the right gender. My wife is also the right gender, so I think some things are going to be working out now. <laughs> yeah, it's about half the battle right there. That's just, here we go. Well, at least we just have to make it uh, five months, and we'll officially have made it longer than my first marriage. So here you go. Not a high bar to clear. <laughs> you would think so, but I didn't think it was. <laughs> I didn't think it was that hard the first time. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Sylvia Rivera. Uh, Why don't you get us started? Sure, I've been waiting for this episode, so I'll start. Let's dive into the story of the incredible Miss Sylvia Rivera. Born in New York City on July 2nd, 1951, the new baby was assigned male at birth, but time will soon soon reveal its truth. (laughs) Sylvia's father was a Puerto Rican man named Jose Rivera, who abandoned the child at birth. Shame on you. The new mother and infant were forced to move within, move in with Sylvia's strict Venezuelan grandmother. Perhaps due to the ab- abandonment of Sylvia's father, or for other reasons we'll never know, Sylvia's mother struggled with depression and eventually took her own life when she was young, a young child at three years old. For the next eight years, Sylvia lived with her grandmother, who was very frustrated by her grandchild's insistence on wearing makeup and acting in an effeminate way. As hard as the old woman tried, she couldn't get the young child to obey and conform to her standards. So at age 11, Sylvia was thrown out into the streets. Yeah, so um, I do want to say Sylvia never officially identified as a female although she did use she her pronouns um she always identified in the middle and the transgender community has just kind of like hijacked her and said she's ours but the reality is like sylvia like we a lot of times when we're covering people in the past we say they didn't have the vocabulary so maybe they you know we don't know how they would have identified they probably would have identified as transgender but so sylvia lived in a time where she could have identified as transgender as she want if she wanted to and she never did. She always saw herself as kind of the middle. Mm-hmm. But again, she she used she her pronouns, so we use that. And you know, she would even she would call herself lady or something like that. But she also, hey, on I the other see. hand, she would always you know say that she didn't fit in either box. So just saying that as we go forward. The streets of New York have never been a warm or safe environment for any individual, but especially not for a young Latin transgender girl in 1962. In order to survive, Sylvia was forced to turn into turn to child prostitution, which sadly is a growing problem all around the world with an estimated 10 million children forced into prostitution across the globe. And it's happened a lot in America, too, so I don't think this is just other countries. This isn't the, all the foreigners. This happens right <laughs> here in America. Yep. 
But like many homeless queer youths, Sylvia had no other options, and in the 60s, she certainly didn't have any resources. So she did what she needed to survive, and along the way, she met a group of drag queens who adopted her into their home and gave her the official name Sylvia. As a little girl grew into a fierce teenager, she watched her country erupt into a battle of civil rights. People of color were standing up, speaking out, and demanding to be seen and heard. Yeah, so when we're talking about the 1960s, there's so many civil rights movements that are happening at this time. You know, obviously, the the one that's talked about the most is the African-American civil rights movement. Um, But, you know, obviously, feminism is taking off, the queer community is taking off, and the Latin American community is also having a civil rights movement, which doesn't get talked about that much. I mean, we'll talk about it some in this in this episode but it doesn't it gets overlooked a lot because you know what you know it's following in the trail of dr martin luther king jr and he's assassinated so it's a uh, it's a big shallow to try to get away from but there were a couple of different uh latin civil rights movement movements going around the chicano movement which was predominantly uh mexican and then this this the civil rights movements from the young lords so there were there were a bunch of different groups in in latin america Latin Americans in the United States fighting for their rights. So there's there's a lot to dig in there, mm-hmm. and we can spend like four hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> so as we've covered in several of our past episodes, the 1960s was an explosion of minority groups finally being recognized by their white peers in government. As I said before, I always repeat myself. Feminism <laughs> was on the rise. Martin Luther King Jr. and other black leaders were marching in the streets. Gays and lesbians were coming out of the closet and living openly. While these groups often take the center stage when we talk about the 1960s, Latino or Latinx Americans were also leading the charge for equal rights. The 1964 Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and Economic Opportunity Act both aided people of color in finally being given a chance just toward a level playing field. But while these bills were a good start, they don't make up for 400 plus years of oppression and discrimination. And their passing certainly didn't erase the racism which pervaded the U.S. and was even proudly flaunted in many parts of the country. So vastly taunted in many, flaunted uh, in yeah, many parts yeah. of the country. Well, especially like, now, again. Yeah. Yeah, and even the laws that the, the, the EEO Commission and, and the Economic, uh, Economic Opportunity Act passed, those are still mocked to this day. Really? Like when you hear, uh, I hear a lot because the, the work that I do is predominantly white male american um so i'm a minority at work you hear a lot of uh oh he was um what's that word um positive action affirmative action affirmative action higher or you were hired just to boost the numbers of minorities oh you were the token yeah the 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 token token x or Mm -hmm. y because we needed to boost those numbers actually uh there was a a supervisor on my first six months at my current job that we were just walking along talking and that's why he told me like oh uh you're hired from puerto rico and you must be one of the token ones so we can boost our numbers wow. so that to this day that still happens where even with these laws the the playing field is not level we want to think that it is but it, it's really not and yeah, it's fooling yourself it's... to think that it is mm-hmm. Yeah, just because we have this law. Well, that's a lot of people that, well, there's no racism in America anymore, as if just having this law in place helps anything. And it also perpetuates a stigma, you know, you're only hired because you're a token. It's a token hire. It's that that stigma of, if we could have had a white person, we would have, because they would have been better and more suited for the job than you. Right. We had to have somebody... We had to, to have that role. A right. We of color. needed to our numbers for um, 
people of color were too low, so we needed to hire seven more people of color. So we hired you. And then you start feeling, if you let that get to you, and sometimes there's no option, uh, you start feeling that imposter syndrome where you feel like you don't belong where you are uh, mm -hmm. and your work is not as important as everybody else's. So you start self-deprecating because you get these messages over and over again of you're just a token hire, you're just... Uh, boosting the numbers you're just here so we get this financial aid from uh some tax cut or something like that and these people will perpetuate that stigma around your profession because your profession is not normally on people of color so yeah. i'm i'm an engineer so it's, it's not normal to see women engineers it's not normal to see engineers of color so when you go into work, it's like, okay, you're talking minority for a number of reasons and you start feeling like, so I am not important. My work doesn't matter. What mm. I do is not valuable. And you start mm. believing that. And then your work gets affected and you don't get the promotions. You don't get the pay raises. And that's how you get stagnant and lose interest in the company while every other white person in the company keeps going up in their normal trajectory because they didn't have that little gremlin in the back just yelling at them saying you're yeah. not enough yeah so yeah like on top of all the work and the obstacles you've already overcome then you constantly are devalued yeah for... exactly so it it's good that in the 60s we have these laws but there's still a lot more work to do. Yeah. Right. We have to keep that in mind. But I'm I'm no. going on my little soapbox here. No, it's important. And and mm -hmm. that I mean the, a lot of that is the um the podcast where we try to remind people, um, especially when we're talking about people with intersectional identities, that you've got to understand where folks are coming from. You have to understand that it's not enough to just say, Well, we have our rights. We, if we if we don't as a society grow and evolve with those rights, it's not gonna help us. It's not gonna matter. Right. If we're still letting the stigmas hold us back, we're not really progressing, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so by the age of 12, Sylvia was on the front lines with her drag mothers fighting against the evils of an all-white colonial pa patriarchy. I don't know what you were doing at 12, year old, 12 years old. Uh, well, I, I know what I was doing. I was on the streets of Chicago trying to win the world for Christ. I was... I was playing with my Barbies. <laughs> I was playing video games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, Sylvia's out there fucking fighting for civil rights. I didn't even want to get up for school, so... Oh, God. I wanted to get up for school. I liked school, but you were little did I know I wasn't learning anything. <laughs> <laughs> so she learned from other queer people of color the ne necessity of standing against wrong no matter, what the no matter the cost. She also learned kindness and compassion, and as the years passed, she grew into a beautiful, strong, proud, transgender woman. Again, I put that in there... Um... But yeah. She didn't identify as, necessarily as transgender. Yeah. We don't. So was she also, but she identified as. Um, okay, I say that. Go ahead. We don't know when Sylvia started identifying as transgender or transvestite, the term she used but considered offensive, but is considered offensive today. Yeah, she always called herself a transvestite. Um, it's not an appropriate term today. Um, she's Sylvia, she can call herself whatever the fuck she wants. Mm -hmm. Just in general, you shouldn't call someone a transvestite. But Sylvia always identified as a transvestite, and for her, that was a term that could kind of keep her in the middle between right. between man and woman. She always felt in the middle of the spectrum, and so she, I think that's why she leaned more on the term transvestite rather than the term transgender, which, of course, transgender wasn't really coined until the 90s. So she, yeah. Okay, go ahead. So you think if, if non-binary, how we know it today, mm -hmm. would have existed in the 60s, she would have said, 
I'm an NBE. Yeah, I think I, yeah. Mm-hmm. from the things that she would say, um, I think she would have identified as non-binary. She fought very hard for transgender rights, but she, but the non-binary community was very much overlooked until very recently. Right. Like just yeah. not, you had to be one of the three. You had to be... Um, it took people long enough to have, yeah. wrap their heads around the fact that you might like the same gender. Exactly. And then to try to convince them... That people are transgender... And, and then, then to be on like, top of it, yeah. yeah, I don't. I'm in the middle. I see a variety of genders. I don't see gender. That was so much later. So I think that transvestite was her way of saying um, that she was non-binary. But I didn't put that in the script. So if you hear transgender, kind of flip it. I just didn't want to keep perpetuating the use of that word. Yeah, it so. makes sense because it's, it's not a nice word now. So yeah. there's no need to it's perpetuate it. Word. But that's the back vocabulary that she had at the time to use and that's what she used so. yeah good to know so um even though she repeatedly faced backlash from others even in the queer community for living openly sylvia never let that slow her down to up her activism she soon joined the young lords the young lords began in 1960 as a puerto rican gang in chicago Jose Chacha Jimenez took hold of the group in 1968 and reorganized them as a national civil and human rights movement inspired by the, stu- the student movements in Puerto Rico, the Latinx communities, the Latinx mu- movements in the Southwest, and the organizing tactics of the Black Panthers. The movement expanded in Chicago to include the broader communities and chapters in 30 cities, including three branches in New York City, the port of entry for the majority of Puerto Rican immigrants. The organization created community projects similar to those of the Black Panthers, yet centralized around Latinos, such as the Free Breakfast Program for Children, the Emeterio Betances Free Health Clinics, Community Testing for Tuberculosis, Lead Poisoning Testing, Free Clothing Drives, Cultural Events in Puerto Rican History, and cultural events in Puerto Rican history classes. There was also work on prison solidarity for incarcerated Puerto Ricans and for the civil rights of Vietnam War veterans. And in New York City, the female leadership pushed for the young lords to fight for women's rights. They were just all over the place, mm-hmm. right? You know, and they were. And it's, I never had. I had never heard of the young lords before this. Uh, before doing research for this episode, had you heard about them? I heard about them briefly. I. I wasn't sure of what exactly they did mm-hmm. in the 60s because they were associated at first with a gang and because they they model after the student riots in Puerto Rico. Okay. So there's there's a thing in Puerto Rico. Um, we had a lot of riots. We had a lot of um, uprising against the imperialists of Spain and then of the United States. But a lot of that got squashed by... Um, propaganda of they are the evil ones, the the ones that are rioting are the evil ones, mm-hmm. and there mm-hmm. were a lot of laws that prohibited that kind of nationalism uh, or patriotism to be Puerto Rican during this time. So they were their image was squandered so much. So I imagine that the young lords got wrapped up into that as well. So for the longest time, for example, the Puerto Rican flag, what it was legal to fly it. You could only fly the the American flag. It was illegal. It was wow. illegal to fly the, the 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 single star Puerto Rican but flag. But you can fly the Confederate flag. That was oh yeah, you you, you can of fly that not. because yeah, 
Who cares because, about that? Yeah. But for the longest time, it was illegal to fly the, the Puerto Rican flag. Wow. And it was in a Puerto way to, Rico in or, Puerto Rico or anywhere else. Wow. Yeah, anywhere else. But I was just like, yeah, wow. but in Puerto Rico, it was illegal to fly the Puerto Rican flag, and it, that was it's national pride, but not in the way of everybody else's evil, but more mm. of a this is our land, this is where we belong, this is who yeah. we are. And that wasn't allowed. The student riots, uh, there were different riots that happened around the universities in Puerto Rico. We have a, a big network of universities that are um, state-run. And there were a couple of student riots that were rebelling against the colon, colonial, colonialism of the United States and uh, how they oppressed the culture of the Puerto Rican people. Um, the same way how I can speak English very well is part of the reason... Um, it's part of, of that side effect of the United States invading uh, Puerto Rico and squandering the, the Puerto Rican culture to bring this Americanized version. Mm, wow. So they, they introduced English to the schools by prohibiting Spanish. They introduced Santa Claus by prohibiting the three wise men. And, wow. and we lost a lot of our culture on that transition Um Culture that was already an oppressed culture because it was Spain and Spain was oppressing us and we were originally Native Americans as well, but that's a different, completely different podcast. But that was 400 years of history that they were just completely squandering because it's not white American, it's Spanish and that's bad. Um, So that's how that this, when when you mentioned the the student um, protest, that's part of that culture in the 60s of trying to protest against the, the the colonialism of the United States and the island and then getting squandered and not being able to do that. So, a little bit of history about Puerto Rico. Yeah. So Enjoy. Read more. A uh, couple questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just uh, so, no, I guess statements because, I mean, when we, we covered uh, two-spirit individuals um, in, in kind of a Native American history a couple weeks ago, and it's the, like that same thing where like we went into the Native American groups and we just said, no, you can't speak your language anymore. You can't do this. We forced them into our schools. So the same thing, like we colonized Puerto Rico that was yeah. already colonized. Yeah, it's like recolonizing something that was already colonized. Wow. So we had um, the island before um, uh, Christopher Columbus came and, and ruined everything. Yeah. Um, came be- and massacred everyone? And uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and he never actually stood foot in the United States, which is fantastic. Because mm-hmm. everybody here is like, oh my God, Christopher Columbus Day. We have Columbus, yeah. yeah. Columbus I don't Day. know if you know this, but he brought prosperity to this land. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Even though he didn't guy. even touch the He got land. all the Native Americans together with the pilgrims when they had a big feast. And they all <laughs> brought turkey and corn and... And then suddenly Bread you had disease. cities. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, So before the, the the Spanish came to the island, there was a big um, Native American or Native Puerto Rican at this point um, population there. Yeah. But since it's an island, it pretty much got wiped out. Um, oh. Although there's some debate now whether or not it got wiped out or it got erased by documents. There's a, there's a new study that came out that said that around the 1900s, when they started mm-hmm. doing the census, they eliminated the word for a Native, Native American in the oh, census. Wow. So now yeah. you had no way of identifying yourself. Of course. So suddenly there were no more Native Americans. They just disappeared. It was not on the paper. Where and, did they all go? Yeah, it's just gone. So yeah. there's a theory that 
all 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 of the remaining which wasn't a lot because diseases and, and all that and slavery um the remaining population of the native americans in puerto rico got lumped into georgia's puerto rican and that's it that's the end of it wow. because they stopped counting them on the census yeah so. jesus christ yeah wow white people are dicks i tell you what <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. Also, can the, you imagine if they actually made the Confederate flag illegal in the South? Oh, they were, they, 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 would, would, they would literally try to se- separate again. They, oh, yeah. They would yeah, like, well. Civil, Civil <laughs> War 2.0. Exactly. Exactly. You're not going to tell us. You're going to tell us we can't hang, fly this racist flag? Well, I guess we're just going to leave. That's right. We tried this once before, but this time we're going to oh, be successful. Right. This time, let's just be like, okay, that's fine. You can <laughs> yeah. go. We'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can stop giving the red states all of our money. Right. I don't really want to die on a battlefield trying to save the South and keep it with the United States. Nope. I, that's just my take now. Y- y'all want to South fix it? Like Brexit? South it? Sex, south exit? Sex it? Oh. Sex it? <laughs> y'all want to sex this? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I wonder yeah. uh, when you when when we mention here... Um, the rise of the Puerto Rico, the incarcerated Puerto Ricans, and mm-hmm. the rise of the Vietnam War veterans. I wonder if that's the Vietnam War veterans that are Puerto Rican, yeah. all of them. No, it was well, it's Vietnam War veterans that uh, were people of color, but they specifically focused on um, okay. Latin, Latinx, mm-hmm. uh, Vietnam War veterans. Okay, so yeah. for a snippet of thing you know, or the more you know, um, forty-eight thousand uh, Puerto Ricans fought in the Vietnam War, and from those. 345 died and 18 were missing in action and for comparison right now we have 375,000 either veteran or active duty members in the military that are Puerto Rican wow so we contribute to the armed forces of the United States yeah even though we're a colony yeah, and we'll get we'll get around to supporting you whenever we can, right? Yeah, you're exactly. still recovering from our. For now, you just have paper towels. Uh, yeah. Trump has been so good to them. What I don't know if you heard what he what said. What else were you expecting? Right. That's all we need. Paper towels. That's that's all we need. <laughs> just a couple good paper old towels. Um, yeah. So okay. <sighs> all right. Uh, yeah. So moving on from where dicks, we, we'll get we'll get back to it. Don't worry. Um, so as Sylvia worked to help her fellow Latinx, am I even saying that right? Latinx? Latinx. La- I say Latinx. Latinx. Okay. It's just it's kind of bastardization of the word that I like, but I just say Latinx. Okay. It rhymes, it sounds pretty. Okay. As Sylvia worked to help her fellow Latinx community, her heart also wished to help her beloved queer community, queer people. Who wrote the script? Mm-hmm. The perfect opportunity rose the night of June 28, 1969. Sylvia and her good friend Marsha P. Johnson were having a drink at the local Stonewall Inn. Sylvia had befriended the drag queen a few years earlier when she approached Marsha on the street. The young woman was inspired by the older black queen and struck up a conversation with Miss Johnson. Marsha soon invited Sylvia to dinner. They had spaghetti, by the way. And a friendship was formed that would last Johnson forever. Dean drag. I guess I don't know why. Why? What do you have on your lips? Uh, tons of lipstick and makeup. You can eat pasta if you know how to throw. Yeah, but you don't want to. Get... If you spend like hours on your face, the He's last thing you want to do <laughs> is get sauce on your face. Paul does really heavy drag. When he does drag, the few times he's done it, it's probably it's very. But I don't know. David, I guess, does heavy drag too. Yeah. 
Just, I guess drag you just queens throw do. in, you have a full bike. You, you don't have to get the red sauce all right here. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't know how to properly. Maybe eat. they didn't um, give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I just don't eat spaghetti. I just eat any other shape. Yeah. <laughs> so that night, the two men were at the bar actually celebrating uh, Marsha's birthday and no doubt laughing together and sassing the bartender because they both had very sassy, fun personalities. We covered Marsha in our four. episode four. Is a, the audio is a little rough, but she's she was fun to cover. We're, we're trying to get a little better. We're, we're working, working on it. Get Jinx. out of my head. I will never get out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> Late in the evening, the New York Police Department raided the bar and began harassing the customer, the customers, customers. the customers, the one customer, <laughs> the one customer in Marshall, um, especially the drag queens and anyone considered cross-dressing. At one point, someone threw a shot, a shot glass at a mirror, which it was believed that Marsha was the one that threw the glass because Marsha. Yeah. And the raid erupted into a riot. Sylvia will later say in an interview that she turned to her friends as the riots began and said, I'm not missing a minute of this. It's the revolution. She also said that night, we were the frontliners. We didn't take no shit from nobody. We had nothing to lose. The Stonewall Inn riot, which lasted about five days, were possibly the most significant event in the U.S. queer history. It officially launched an all-out LGBT rights campaign. And the forefront, and at the forefront were Sylvia and Marsha. Yeah, you can't, I mean, whatever the catalyst was, I mean, most people believe it was Stonewall Inn riots, but we all know that that was like... And, what, and we'll we'll do a deep dive of all that if, when eventually. We always say we will, but we're going to. We should try to do it this June. We should. We should try to do it this June. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, you know, and again, like we said in our last episode on Jose Julio Serria. Serria. Yeah, we talked about how, like, people of color were at the forefront of the movement because they had nothing to lose, really, yeah. honestly, and they knew what it was like to be openly discriminated against, and they couldn't hide they could hide their identity in the closet, but they couldn't hide the color of their skin. Right. You know? They had no chance. To exactly. Get that good old white American boy treatment. That's right. Uh, while Sylvia was happy to be a part of marches and parades and riots, she understood that more basic needs had to be met first. Homelessness among LGBT youth was rampant. Because of the lack of resources, we do not have statistics on these issues in 1970 like we do today. <clears throat> yeah, like today you can go to a bunch of websites and you can look up how what the statistics are. And I tried right. to look up stats from then and they were like, no, we didn't cover, cover queer people no, in the 70s. it didn't matter. So. But with the anti-gay climate in the country and the overwhelming lack of education resources, it is safe to say that any young people brave enough to come out would have a tough time finding a place to live. And this was especially true for transgender youth. So at age 19, Sylvia founded STAR, which stands for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, and she asked Marsha to join her as vice president. 19. Still just fucking kicking ass. Mm -hmm. She did more in like her first 25 years than I have in my 30 years, and I probably will in my 60 years. Uh, Yeah, she's done more than I will ever do. You ever tend to do. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Some of the people we've covered, yeah. like Josephine Baker, oh, Marsha Johnson, so... all of these people. I'm Josephine like... Baker alone. It's like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Exactly. She's exhausted. I was like, God, have a fucking seat, lady. Right? Yeah. What are you doing? Do you what honestly, do you have to prove? You know what? There wasn't Zequil around when she was, <laughs> you know, doing her thing. Yeah. She probably just was like one of those people who couldn't sleep. And she was like, you know what? I might as well use this time productively. 
There you go. Yeah. I don't know how she could have done it all. She I must don't. have slept like two hours a night because... If that, yeah. She... I was just tossing just reading about her story. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, you sit down for a second. I know. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Anyway, um, Star offers services and advocacy for homeless queer youth and fought for the Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act in New York. Sylvia was, was so insistent on the inclusion of drag queen and transvestite concerns... Added, added to the bill that she was famously arrested after scaling the walls of City Hall while wearing full makeup, a dress, and heels to crash a closed-door meeting on the bill. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, and we can all sit down and all of a sudden like, hello, it's Sylvia. Just, you need to add this to the bill. I wish there was like a YouTube video of this. Oh, if this God. had happened now, it would have been a viral video. Could it you would've. imagine? Like... <laughs> Just the, the sight alone. She's just scaling the wall. Exactly. Just crawling up. Take your shoes off. Why are you climbing in heels? <laughs> I don't know. Just amazing. When the law eventually passed in 1986, it did not contain language to protect those who did not fit neatly into the Main Street movement. When Sylvia learned of this exclusion, she famously responded, Hell hath no fury like a drag queen scorned. That's <laughs> the truth. Yep. So for most transgender and non-binary youth, and especially people of color, Star was the only safe haven they had. Their first home was the back of a trailer truck seemingly abandoned in Greenwich Village outdoor... By a Greenwich Village outdoor parking area. Okay. A step up from sleeping in the doorways. And Sylvia and Marsha were quickly able to gather together about two dozen young street transvestites. The ground rule in the trailer was that nobody had to go out and hustle her body, but that when they did, they had to kick back a percentage to keep Star House going. Marcia and Sylvia made sure the rent was paid and the residents would pitch in to buy and cook meals, keep the place clean, and help each other survive. It's very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible right. situation to yeah, have to but go the way, through, yeah. but like, the community coming together is very beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, an article from the blog The Spirit... Oh, an article from the blog The Spirit Was wrote a story about the house at this time. One morning, as Sylvia and Marsha were returning with breakfast, they froze when they realized the trailer was moving. Apparently, somebody had reclaimed it and was driving it off, not realizing, not realizing that some 20 queens were asleep inside. As Sylvia and Marsha watched, dumbstruck, um, the young queens, apparently awakened by the startup noise, started to jump out of the back of the truck. But was anyone still inside? We're standing there like two yentas. Uh, what's that? If you look up the definition, it's actually a Yiddish word. It means like old ladies that gossip a lot, but it has a a, a very bad backbone of being very insulting oh, for okay. other people. But it's like a Yiddish insult. Okay. So. so Sylvia later recalls, I mean, we're talking about two crazy women. Oh my God, the kids, the kids. Oh Lord Jesus, please don't take the children. Two the crazy children. women. Hysterical. <laughs> and in full drag. <laughs> oh my God, the children are coming away. And I can just imagine the guy in the mirror, rear view mirror like, what the fuck? You're like exactly. trying to get out of there. Joe didn't tell me there were going to be people in this thing. <laughs> people jumping out and then Marsha and Sylvia, <laughs> Sylvia running, running down after him. <laughs> Think about the children. Oh my, oh my god! Also, I love that they just found this abandoned trailer, and they're like, "We're gonna fucking take this. Uh-huh. And this is ours. This is our house now." That's right. <laughs> right. 
The queen soon moved into a new home, this one without wheels, and set up star the star house again. And while and while this was just the kind of organization New York needed, surprise, surprise, it didn't sit well with the mainstream white gay and lesbian movement. In an article on Besa.com or Bees.com? B-E-S-E.com. I just call it Bese. Besa.com <laughs> author Giselle DeFares wrote, Rivera stood out wherever she went. She was magnetic, loud, and demanding. In the 1960s, most gay, most gay organizations were made up of white middle-class gays in groups such as the Gay Activist Alliance, GAA. His, historian and biographer Martin Doberman notes that the on the... On the friction that Rivera's presence brought in the mainstream gay movement, a Hispanic street queen's trans- transgressive being produced automatic alarm. Sylvia's, Sylvia was from the wrong ethnic group, from the wrong side of the tracks, wearing the wrong clothes, managing single-handedly and simultaneously to embody several frightening overlapping categories of otherness. What a... What Quite a, a bit energy she tried. You no, know, yeah. any group. Nope. Right. So she was like the epitome of intersecting identity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I I, I don't know. And she, she terrified the white gay and lesbian movement. And this was specifically gay and lesbian, you know, and they were the first groups to really come out. And, you know, we like, um, what's the word? We have to recognize that gay and lesbians were the first to really have movement and traction in the gay in the queer civil rights movement. Now, part of that is uh, because you know transgender and non-binary individuals weren't recognized, and part of that is also because of their own suppression of transgender and non-binary individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, continuing on with that same article, Rivera didn't care about labels and definitions. Throughout her life, she referred to herself as a half sister, a drag queen, or a transvestite. Her attitude on fluid identity further strengthened her position as a radical activist in the mainstream gay movement. Despite their exclusion, both Rivera and Johnson worked hard for the inclusion of queer people of color and gender nonconforming in the mainstream civil rights movement. Quite often, the activists could front various protests, but were pushed aside for more acceptable leaders in front of the media. Wow, that's... AKA white. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you can lead the, you can lead like, you know, the front lines and the Stonewall in riots and you can stand there and fight with the police and we'll let you be arrested. But when it's time for someone to get in front of the camera, let's make uh, sure it's a white guy. We need to make sure it's a pretty blonde white guy. <laughs> exactly. Pretty <laughs> um, A perfect example of this happened at the fourth official Pride Parade in 1973 when Johnston and Rivera were banned from participating in the gay pr- uh, Pride Parade by the Gay and Lesbian Committee who were, administer- who were administering the event stating they weren't going to allow drag queens at their marches claiming they were giving them a bad name. So f- fucking didn't even allow them in the Pride Parade. They're the ones who fucking started everything. Exactly. If it wasn't for them, there would be no Pride Parade. Marsha threw the goddamn shot glass. <laughs> so Marsha and Sylvia responded by marching defiantly ahead of the parade. Because you know what? You can't tell them they can't be in front of it. <laughs> no, you can't. I'm you not know part what? of it. I'm not touching it. Right? At every Pride Parade, there's also that one asshole that walks in the front. Have you ever seen him? And he has the Bible verses on a sign. And he walks in front of the Pride Parade. Right. <laughs> to be like, well, I can't walk in the Pride Parade, but I can walk in front of it. And you're like, yes, you can. I guess you can. And then everybody forgets about you the second they start seeing everything else. Exactly. Uh, where am I? Oh. And it was odd that they would be banned from the parade anyway, as Sylvia was slotted to speak at the rally. But events 
proved it was clear that committee had no intention of allowing her to march or speak. Yeah, it was kind of like, it's bullshit because she slotted to speak. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, but you can't march in the parade. Like This is actually on YouTube. Yes, I know. When she, uh, she, um, basically like just barges in. She's mm-hmm. like, I'm fucking speaking. Yeah. Are we actually going to read what she says? But yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, Zena's surprise. Gonna read what surprise. She says. Spoiler. We're going to read but it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, Paul's right. You can go to YouTube and you can actually watch this happen. Um, the clip from this happened from 1973. Somehow right. this made it, but they didn't get her climbing the city hall. <sighs> Sorry. I know you're still disappointed. I know. I wanted to see her actually yeah, climbing right? in heels. <laughs> When it came time for Sylvia's speech, she was blocked from taking the stage by the radical lesbian feminist Jean O'Leary, who physically attacked her and accused her of mocking womanhood. Sylvia fought her way onto the stage and delivered an impassioned speech in which she called out the whiteness and class privilege that made the audience and the gay rights and women's liberation movements as a whole, blind to the needs of the poor gender non-conforming and queer people of color. Today, it is known as the infamous Y'all Better Quiet Down speech. She said to the crowd, You all tell me, go and hide my tail between my legs. I will no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have my nose broken. I have been thrown in jails. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment. For gay liberation, and you all treat me this way? What the fuck is wrong with you all? Think about that. It's true, right? What the fuck? Yeah, it's it, they initiated the beginning of the the modern LGBTQ civil rights movement and representation and all that. And suddenly they're not good enough to be on the on the pride parade. It's mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. No, they're scary. They can't have them up there. In my mind, they should should have been there every year. They should have been At the beginning of every parade. Involved in the planning. Like, they should have been the first person's contact and said, how do we do this? Like, with the group. Right. And then, you know, right in the front. And ensure that you get everybody represented. You need uh, the the gay represented. You need the lesbian represented. But you also need the the transgender and gender non-conforming people Mm -hmm. to be represented. And and everybody else that uh, feels feels our acronym. You need everybody represented. To say, like, you're not good enough to be in the community is is complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. Especially for someone that started the movement. Yeah. Like, really? You people suck. Yeah. Well, it, what's said about this is that, you know, for years, the uh, the LGBTQ movement has, has struggled with their image now, you know, as people of color have stood up and been like, uh, hey, look at the, how the fuck you're treating us. And they, you know, they're like, oh, God, I don't know how we got to this point. You got to this point because you started right here. See, before this, like, queer people... Just all together, it didn't matter. It wasn't. I can't say it never mattered what color your skin was, but it didn't matter as much because you're such a, a suppressed minority. And then the moment we get the slightest idea that hey, maybe we can get some rights, who do we leave behind to to get these rights? And so mm-hmm. right away we abandoned people of color because we were like the white people are like, you know what, we could be, we could kick easier. you with us, but yeah, it'll be easier if we leave you behind because we look 
more like the people who are not right. We, we can we, accept us we're, better. We're closer to that box of that society wants us to be. Yeah. And since you don't fit in the box in any way whatsoever, you just go stand over there and be pretty. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't be any part of this. And we'll come back for you. That's a favorite thing. That's what they did to the transgender individuals in the '90s. So you know, trans people had to get a had to fight to, for the right to march in the parade as well. And they were like, "Look, we're going to come back for you. Just let us get our rights, and then we'll come and we'll we'll get you your rights too." And now. We're fucking facing this shit. We could have been along with you the whole time, but you just had to get there first, and it was so much better. And mm-hmm. it's all horse shit. That's what I say. Yeah. Yep. So while Sylvia had openly stood her ground, the pressure put on by other gay and lesbian organizations was too much. When she returned home to Star that night, she attempted suicide. Thankfully, Marsha arrived home in time to find her body and save Sylvia's life. After the attempt, Sylvia shut down Star House and left activism for the next 20 years. 20 years you drove this person away because... One of the superstars, one of the fucking starters of Stonewall Mm -hmm. ran this amazing organization. Yeah, exactly. Drove her away because you didn't want her. She, she She wasn't the image that you wanted. During this time, she continued to struggle with homelessness as well as a lack of employment. But the worst enemy was addiction, which reared its ugly head and pulled this beautiful person into its claws. And we say person because Sylvia never actually identified as a woman, as we've said, and though she did use the pronouns she and her. And as I said earlier, I'm just repeating where transgender activists had um, have taken her as their own, but she would probably better fit as non-binary. Mm-hmm. As Sylvia struggled to find her way, another tragedy would bring her back to acti- activism. In July of 1992, Marsha's body was found in the Hudson River. While police ruled her death a suicide, the evidence pointed to foul play. Sylvia fought with authorities to reopen the case. Initially, they resisted, and the loss of her best friend and the rejection of others once again pushed Sylvia to attempt suicide again. But once again, she survived, and in 1995, she was featured in the documentary Outrage 69. This launched a new interest in Sylvia Rivera. Yeah, now she was now she was the it girl, you know, mm-hmm. and now now all of a sudden, you know, the uh, the gay uh, the LGBT uh, movement that had abandoned her twenty years ago was like, oh, now now we need to prove to people that we do care about folks of all walks mm-hmm. of life, and and I'm sure it had to do with twenty years, you know, every generation or half generation yeah. as the younger people come through, they're more accepting, they're more open because. That's you know it just works that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that helped a lot too with bringing her back. Yeah, I want to believe that people all change their views, but I know that's probably not the case, unfortunately. No, but it makes sense that the, the newer generation, yeah, that was you know, already accustomed to everything else, is like, but you forgot about these people. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. come and help them too. So that that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Um. Around this time, Sylvia was banned from New York's Gay and Lesbian Community Center because she was too aggressively demanded the center shelter homeless queer youth one winter night. She told the gay historian Michael Bron- Bronsky, 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 <laughs> too white for me. <laughs> one of our main goals now is to destroy the human rights campaign because I'm tired of sitting in the back of the bumper. It's not even the back of the bus anymore. It's the back of the bumper. The bitch on wheels is back. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And that's another thing. Yeah. She, she goes after them, <coughs> which I guess I wrote here. 
Um, as she rode a, a current wave of popularity, Sylvia renewed her activism, and in 2001, she relaunched Star, this time with a, free, a fresh zeal to see transgender and gender nonconforming people fully recognized by LGBT activists. Sylvia attacked the human rights campaign and other organizations for hindering transgender rights. She organized protests over the lack of police action and the murder of transgender woman Amanda Milan, who was stabbed in the neck in front of several witnesses. It's a very crazy story. You can look it up. But she's just like, she's stabbed. It was 4 a.m. in the morning, but there was a group of people around. And this guy starts harassing her. She tells him to, like, fuck off. And he walks away, and another guy comes up, and he's like, hey, I have a knife. And the guy grabs the knife and turns around and stabs Amanda in the neck. And the police are just like, eh, it's just a trans woman. Sylvia, all... Yeah, right? Sylvia also volunteered at a local food pantry and continued to advocate for inclusion for all queer people in, uh, in LGBTQ plus rights. That's me. Yep. On February 19th, 2002, Sylvia Rivera passed away due to liver cancer. She was cremated and her ashes reside at the Metropolitan Community Church of New York in Midtown Manhattan, where she attended services and worked in the food pantry. In honor of her legacy of working on behalf of the homeless queer youth and queer youth in crisis, the church opened Sylvia's Place, a shelter for homeless LGBTQ youth, and renamed their food pantry the Sylvia Rivera Memorial Food Pantry. Never one to hide in the shadows, at Sylvia's request, her ashes made an appearance every Sunday to attend Mass with her chosen family and her many children. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Right. Writer Jeffrey J. Ayovani wrote on medium.com about the intersectional identity of the Latin American queer gender activists and the ways our queer community has so often fail people of color and marginalized identities. The embrace of Rivera and Johnson by mainstream gay rights leaders only after their death shows the movement is not and has never been for all members of the LGBTQ community equally. The, this newfound celebration of their legacies ignores the ways poor street queens of color were undermined by the right gays movement. Sylvia and Marsha were not given the resources by society at large or the movement to achieve their full potential as revolutionary leaders. As we celebrate and uplift trans women of color revolutionaries, we should simultaneously critique the oppressive forces, past and present, that resulted in gender nonconforming people of color being left behind and left out. Has Sylvia been honored and supported as the visionary leader she was during her lifetime? She may have lived beyond the age of 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never thought of that, but like after they're dead, their appearance isn't there anymore. You can mm-hmm. make them whatever you want them to. Oh, they were such a great person. They were such a great person because after they're dead, they're not there. So. Like, I just feel like that's a way for them to be, to to say like, oh, we supported this person, blah, 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 blah. They were such great people, but like their physical appearance isn't there because, oh, they didn't fit into this box or that box. So it's harder to portray them when they're alive. And they can't call you out on your BS. Yeah. Right. So most of, most of the oppression that uh, both of these women felt is just being erased from history because they're not there to say no, bitch, you were nice to me for yeah. the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're not there to, to fight for themselves. So we want to think that 
yes, Marsha and Sylvia were at the forefront of the Stone Riot, so we always honored them, and it's really not. We were really shitty to them yeah. mm-hmm. until pretty much their death or beyond. Mm-hmm. And it's now when our generation is learning about all these things it's like holy crap we were really bad back then let's try and fix this Mm -hmm. but we can't fix it if we rose color the past we Mm -hmm. need to know how shitty the movement was for them even though the movement was good for some of the people in the lgbt community Mm -hmm. we have to recognize this was not for everybody yeah and that's the only way to move forward because you recognize that yeah, we were shitty to all these people because we were trying to do this for just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's fix that. Yeah. yeah. You have to admit it first. Mm-hmm. Honesty is, is key. And I, I always just think, uh, I was thinking earlier about, like, for 20 years, Sylvia sleeping on the streets and, and just drowning in her addiction and completely hopeless and then losing her best friend and she doesn't know today that like so many of us know her especially in our younger generation most of us know the name Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson we might not oh, know yeah. their whole stories but we know those names and she had no idea that she would be remembered that way and she and she, and she will never know that you know yeah. that, her, that she has a legacy you know and right. so it's great that we're remembering her and it's great that we're telling the story but you know as, as the author wrote, like how much better it would have been if we could have honored her during her life. She probably would have lived past 50. She lived to 51 years old, you know, mm-hmm. 51. And if you see pictures of her, she looks like she's 80. Like, honestly, if you see the pictures of her later in life, she's very worn and just tired. And she's lived a very hard life. She could have lived such a better life, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia's Children, continuing with the Medium.com article, Sylvia's Children, low-income, gender non-conforming, and queer people of color remain the most vulnerable. According to the National Center for Transgender Equality, the lives of transgender Americans are characterized by pervasive mistreatment and violence, severe economic hardship, and physical and mental health issues due to discrimination and lack of access to necessary resources. Let us not forget poor street queens of color created the blueprint for gay liberation. Let us not forget that these radical and visionary women were kept from living out their full potential. History should give great respect to those like Sylvia Rivera, who refuse to be silent in the face of society, who tells them that they are wrong and should not exist. (laughs) I'd like to do a lot more for the movement, she told historian Eric Marcus, but the movement just doesn't want to deal with me. That's the saddest thing, but I had to end on the line. Yeah, it's 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 an epitome of what the movement did to her, even though what she did to the movement. Yeah. She brought yeah. the movement, she gave birth to the movement, and then the movement said, you're not good enough. Yeah. At this day and age, we need to do better. Yeah. And by learning how we did in the past, we can move forward and, and do, do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the story for me, the story of Sylvia Vera is very important because it was specifically the queer community turning on one of their own. And it's we, such a messed up story. Mm-hmm. We can't blame the other people. We can't We can't say, oh, it was the straight guys. Oh, oh it was the government. It was religion. No, it was... It was us. Ourselves. We did it. Right. You know? Um, and specifically the white people. So, because <laughs> we were just so good at it. Uh, that's all. That's what we were bred to do. <laughs> it's a talent, guys, to be honest. So it's our only culture we have. <laughs> it's the only thing we're good at. Me and the kids. 
So, um, so that is our episode for you guys. Uh, Viva, one more time, because uh, it'll be a little while before we have you back on. Plug your podcast again, please. Right. It's Down No Particular Road. You can find it at buzzsprout.com slash Manfredo or any other place where you can find downloads of podcasts. We pop up anywhere. So Down No Particular Road. It's about camping and having fun and being goofy and nothing serious. We usually don't get too serious on that. Awesome. And we just goof around. We don't ever get serious either. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, and yeah, no, that's good. And she will be on future episodes. She doesn't know yet, but she will be on future episodes. I will be on future episodes. <laughs> she will so be. I yeah. just found out. We volunteered her. And do you um, want to give our recommended resource? Um, yeah, our recommended resource is the docu-series Outrage 69, which is available on YouTube. You can also, as stated previously, find some clips on Sylvia Rivera on yep. YouTube. Her actually, like recordings of her, not people talking about her, things like that. Yeah, you can actually see her talking. Mm-hmm. And you can also watch the documentaries of uh, about Marsha P. Johnson, yep. which you know has Sylvia talking in those as well, and then like a, a lot about her as well. Yeah, uh, super easy you literally just type in Sylvia Rivera or Marsha P. Johnson. You can find them. You all know how to use the internet. If you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. That's right. Good so, point. yes, check us out on social media. Follow us at Your Queer Story. We could really use your support at Patreon. We've got a new studio coming soon. We're trying to get some more equipment for that uh, so we don't have three of us huddled around one microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it makes for an intimate environment. Oh, yes. We're so <laughs> close now. Um, and most of all, don't get a lobotomy. You succulent sapphists. Bye. Bye. I forgot Bye. what this one is. Wow, Bye. all of it we said. <laughs> Stay queer, you sodomites. Oh, that's another one. <laughs> Homocrats, succulent sapphists, We've got ally too many hookers. At this point, to be Just yep. so many taglines. Just God. love each other. There you go. Just love each other. Be good to each other. My. Wait, Bye. which one is it? Bye. This one. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.